Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast with Hal Elrod. I'm your host, Nick Polkuski, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you take your life to the next level faster than you ever thought possible. In each episode, you will learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals that most haven't. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, a Hall of Fame business achiever, an international keynote speaker, ultra-marathon runner, and the founder of VIPSuccessCoaching.com, Mr. Hal Elrod. All right, Goal Achievers, Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, this is your host, Hal Elrod, and I am pumped for today's interview because talk about a fascinating individual who has accomplished some extraordinary goals and uh, and I'm sure has a lot of value to teach you. I'm really just curious to the story of this gentleman and, and what it's like to be him and to be in his world. And uh, I'm just going to dive right in. I want to give uh, our, our guest today is Nick Nanton, and I want to give him a, a, a very formal introduction. It's funny, his his bio as I'm reading it and trying to cut, okay, what am I going to include? What am I going to leave out? Like he's done so much, you know, that it's like even when I cut his bio in half, I'm like, God, it's still pretty long, but I, but I really think it's valuable. So I want I want you to know, I'm going to take, it's worth taking 60 seconds for you to really know who Nick is and, and what he's done. And uh, and then we'll we'll dive in and, and have a cool conversation uh, with Mr. Nick Nanton. So he is, Nick Nanton is a four-time Emmy award-winning director producer and filmmaker. Uh, Nick serves as the CEO of the Dix Nanton Celebrity Branding Agency, which is an international branding agency uh, and media agency with more than 2,200 clients in 33 countries. And Nick, uh, he has produced large-scale events and television shows with the likes of Steve Forbes, Brian Tracy, President George H.W. Bush, Jack Canfield, Mark uh, Michael E. Gerber of the Emith, Tom Hopkins, and, and many more. And uh, he really is, uh, you know, recognized as one of the top thought leaders in the business world. He speaks on major stages internationally. He's co-authored, get this, thirty-six best-selling books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller Storytelling, which I actually just got in the mail the other day. And uh, Nick has been featured and seen in the USA Today, Wall Street Journal. Newsweek, Businessweek, Inc. Magazine, New York Times, Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, Fast Company, uh, and appeared in ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox Television, I mean, just on and on and on. And most recently, he just released a new documentary, Visioneer, which is the story of Peter Diamandis, the founder of XPRIZE, and it features the likes of Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, Will I am and many, many more. So again, talk about a fascinating uh, life, and I'm just curious of what it's like to be Nick, uh, and and what he can teach us that will help us to rise to even a fraction of the level uh, that he's playing. You know his his life and his work and his career and and living out his mission. So Nick Nanton, are you on the line? I'm here, my man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's, I'm excited to have you. Like, like I, like I hopefully just expressed. <laughs> but hey man, uh, we got lots to talk about. It should be fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, so so let's let's take, take us back, man. Let's. Uh, how did you? You know, how did you get into the work that you're in now? What what you know what 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 was the point in your childhood or that defining moment in your teen years or what? At what point did you have the vision for what you're doing now? And then and then how did you kind of close the gap between that vision and and, and now it becoming a reality? That is a fine question. Um, so, <clears throat> man, I would say one of the defining moments uh, in my life, and, and I will 
disclaim it as uh, I'm not sure it exactly happened exactly this way, but it, this is the way I remember it and the way it's kind of makes it concise, right? So um, <clears throat> my my family moved to uh, America when I was one. Uh, I'm from Barbados originally. My family's been there for 300 years, and uh, you know we uh, we actually came to Barbados as Welsh pirates in the 1600s. So uh, that's always fun. Okay, um, but, but we came to America legally, uh, thank you. Uh, but you know, when we got here, my parents, uh, my dad started a furniture store. My uncle started uh, a you know like an electronics store. And in the mid '80s, they they brought one of the very first Suzuki uh, Jeep Suzuki Motors dealerships, not the motorcycles, but the the Jeeps. Mm. And um, we, life was really good, man. I mean, we you know uh, my dad was doing really well in like '86, '87, and then a bunch of bad press came out about Suzuki's flipping and it was in the end no one really knows exactly where it came from certainly if you drive a small jeep like that lift it and go 50 miles an hour and yank the wheel to the right it will go (laughs) the wheels but anyway so a bunch of bad press came out about it and um we essentially went from you know doing great to to you know quite a few years after that of like my parents really were just trying not to file for bankruptcy and just trying to keep us in our home and and like so my dad was you know was doing great and my parents built their dream home, uh, 2,400 square feet uh, with a tennis court next to it because my dad used to have to walk uphill both ways, you know, that sort of thing to play tennis. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, just to tell you, like, it was a we, – we weren't – like, we didn't get everything we wanted. I mean, my dad certainly was was doing great on paper and, and we had money and stuff. But I, I didn't go without, but I wasn't – I wouldn't say I was spoiled. But, like, you know, if I needed something, I could get it. But then it went to, like – by the time I hit, like, 12, 13, 14, we'd been a few years into – kind of this financial crisis for us, if you will. And the weirdest thing was that I went from, uh, my dad, you know, kind of sat down with me. He's like, Hey Nick, here's the deal. Cause like at 12, you know, things start to matter. Like the clothes you wear and the, you know, just everything starts to matter. And he, and he kind of said it this way. And that's why I say, I don't know that we ever had this one specific conversation, but essentially it was like this, Nick, you can have anything you want in life, but you're going to have to earn it because I can't give it to you. I'm like trying to fight to not go bankrupt, to, to feed the family, to, figure out, you know, his position in life then as well. Like, what was he going to do next? And, and, you know, trying to find success again. And so I really started working from then because I wanted things. I wanted experiences. I wanted, you know, I, I wanted to play tennis. Uh, I ended up getting very competitive in, in tennis and playing for years and was trying to play for the Olympic team for Barbados was my goal, but I tore my knees and all that fun stuff. But, you know, I was, but I couldn't, we couldn't afford to train at the place that I wanted to train. That was the best training center in town. So I agreed to do, you know, yard work and other things for them in exchange for playing. And my parents, a lot of times, would come out and help me dig ditches and stuff, too. I mean, they were fully, fully, fully supportive. But, you know, I, I then started teaching tennis lessons at our own because, like I said, we have this this nice, modest house with a tennis court next to it. And I figured out at, like, 12, 13 years old that I could charge, you know, $10 a kid and I could put five or ten kids into a half an hour, hour lesson and I could make a, I could make 100 bucks an hour teaching tennis. Um, and this and then, was, you were how old at this point? I was, like, 12, right? Nice. And so I started to realize that there was no correlation between your age, really, and, and what you could make. And at the time, money was very important to me because I, I didn't have any other way to get it. You know, it wasn't like I was worshiping it, but I needed, you know, I started, I turned 15 and turned 16, had to buy a car, needed gas, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I, so that was kind of my first businesses. I actually, this is a funny story, but I was 15. I was really trying to figure out how I could get some extra money to get my car. And so I had done... Like I, you know, like a lot of kids, I kind of grew up liking. I bought some magic tricks. I, I some somehow I got a balloon animal book so I could make some balloon animals. That was fun. And uh, so I, I remember opening up the phone book and calling uh, 
clown services. And I was kind of like, yeah, I was 15. I was like, how much? I mean, how much is it to hire one of your clowns for my kid's birthday party? And, then, <laughs> and they're like, $150 an hour. I'm like, done. I, I hung up the phone and I went and printed business cards. And I was, I became a clown. I became Binky the Clown. Nice. I was making 150 bucks an hour at 15. So all those, all those things, just the backstory, just to share with you. Like I, I, I learned early that if you could create value, something other people wanted, if they, if they wanted their kids to learn tennis, okay, they were willing to pay for that. If they wanted to entertain their kids at their party and have something cool, they would pay for that. There was a value to that, whether it's social value or an economic value, whatever. And I learned that pretty quickly just to kind of finish up part of that story. We can move on. But I started playing guitar at six. I started songwriting at 16, put out my first record at 18. And so I really got heavily involved in music at 16, um, went off to college, and, and because tennis was kind of over for me then because of my knees, I got heavily involved in music and started producing records, started working with a bunch of people. I uh, had a studio in Gainesville and where I went to school uh, at the University of Florida where you know, Sister Hazel, the band, came out of there. So I did some work with those guys when I was there. I had a studio with a three-time Grammy Award winner who was back from the uh, 80s rock band Petra. And hmm. so we had a bunch of bands come through. I worked with the, the drummer from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Stan Lynch, who's still a friend of mine today. Um, so I, I really kind of started moving towards music and I started managing bands. And, and so I, I then reconnected with my now business partner because I met him when my cousin dated his daughter when I was 15. And I knew he was a lawyer, didn't practice law and was very entrepreneurial. And so I reconnected him with him because a friend of mine in college started dating his daughter and we ended up starting a music company. And uh, after a couple of years of like really not making any money in music, like we could pay the bills. But that was like it. And I was starting, I was just finished law school my wife had our first son a week after I took the bar exam. Uh, he said, and she hasn't been back to work since, and that same son turns 11 uh, next week. And so he basically said, Nick, if you, you did the same thing you're doing for musicians and bands, for business people, all the promotion and, and the marketing and the positioning and the media creation, all that stuff, I'll teach you direct marketing. If you do all the same things for business people, uh, you'd feel like you're babysitting a lot less, you'd make a lot more money, and you'd be a lot happier. So I essentially said, yes, yes, yes. Nice. Uh, so, so we did that and we, um, we first out started by positioning me as one of the top entertainment lawyers in the country. And I was fresh out of law school. Hmm. It worked really well. I, I was billing at a thousand dollars an hour in my mid twenties, uh, which is more than most guys in LA or New York. And I'm in Orlando and not the place matters really, but mm -hmm. not anymore, but still that's where the, the high dollar stuff comes out of. But I never wanted to practice law. I just went for the education because I want to be the president of a record label. Uh, and then to finish that story, essentially, I said, hey, I don't want to practice law anymore, but I do want to teach people this, this sort of formula we figured out. That's when we wrote our first book, Celebrity Branding You, my first book. He'd had plenty before that. And, uh, you know, so I spent the last, better part of the last 10 years kind of traveling around and consulting and teaching and coaching people on how to become, uh, you know, the best known in their industry. So that's the long, short story. No, I like that. So Celebrity Branding You, you was the book, yeah. first book? Yep. That's the first book. That, that uh, if I could tell people anything, write a book, man, that, that changed my life like overnight. That's, I mean, you know, it yeah. took a lot of hard work along with it, but I mean, yeah, you know the story and yeah, you yeah. have it yourself, but it's amazing what a book will do for you that, uh, that really nothing else will. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I, I can authentically, I tell people that there's nothing's impacted my life more positively than writing, you know, writing a book. And, um, so, so what, I am curious, what kind of music were you putting out, uh, at age 18 when you had your first album out? Uh, it was... I'd say now you would call it singer-songwriter. Back then they would probably classify it kind of as folk, which it wasn't really. I mean, it, it was you know, very acoustic-driven, but full band stuff. Um, and then I started writing a lot of country music, and I, I produced a, 
a rock record when I was back in law school too that uh, by a band called Longwood and we got a, a single that I wrote with them was on 50 stations in 20 states and so I've really kind of though I've really kind of based my career around pop rock and country I still write country music in Nashville I have several songs that are uh, actively being you know shopped right now that I think uh, will we've got a good shot with a couple of these and the guys who I write with have had like numerous, numerous, numerous number ones in, in the country world with guys like Chris Young and Billy Currington and Rascal Flats and all that sort of mess. Nice. Now, are any of your songs available, like remastered and put up on iTunes? Um, that's funny. I, I have to look, I don't know. Um, <laughs> certainly not from my original album because I don't want anyone to hear those. <laughs> um, but, Fair uh, enough. Fair enough. as I say, I have 800 copies of that album under my parents' bed. Uh, because I didn't know how to market. Now that I do know how to market, I know I want them to stay there. That's but uh, there's stuff. Yeah, there's some stuff on my website. If you go to nicknanton.com and you click the, there's either a media or a music page. You can hear stuff I've produced, stuff I've written. Nice. There's even maybe something of me singing on there. So yeah, lots of fun. Nicknanton.com. Good. So all right. So so you uh, you write a book called Celebrity Branding. You you become an expert in the space of helping uh, you know uh, thought leaders or, or people become thought leaders, brand themselves. Uh, we, where's the transition into, into getting into making documentaries and, and becoming an Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker? Yeah, so funny story. Um, a, a couple of different things. Um, I, I still had the bug. Like, I, was, I wasn't getting to do as much music as I would like at the time. And I, I really had a – I love just visual stuff. I've done a lot of graphic design. and a lot, I don't know. I, I just loved it. And so I, I was like, man, I really want to make – at some point I'd love to make some sort of short story film movie, something maybe, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people say that, but I was like, no, I'm really good. I'm really just looking for the right story. And I actually, um, you know, I'm, I've been a Grammy voter now for, I don't know, over a decade, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at, uh, you know, the, the major awards one could win. And I'm like, I'm probably a Grammy seems further and further off, although maybe it's getting closer again. We'll see. You know, I'm not going to win a Tony for <laughs> musicals, um, an Oscar, man, that's probably impossible, but man, maybe I could win an Emmy. Maybe, hmm. maybe that's my deal. So, so I, I, and I've told you the story. <laughs> so I, I Googled how to win an Emmy yep. and I found a document that basically said, look, here's, here's what you got to do. You know, everyone now is capable of, of making good productions, but you got to have a great story. That was like where it all starts. So you got to have the great story. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep my ears out, uh, for a great story. Well, Six months after that or so, I get an email from a guy who I had met him in an airport maybe a year earlier. I don't remember the exact timeline. Uh, in Chicago's Midway Airport, I was waiting for a flight, you know, kind of crowded airport. Guy sits down next to me. You know, he flips open his laptop. It's got a really cute picture of a little boy uh, with, you know, a T-ball, kind of, you know, a little portrait from baseball. Um, and uh, I said, you know, is that your son? He said, yeah. I said, man, he's a beautiful kid. He said, thanks so much. He's our third. He's our youngest. Um, he has Down syndrome, but he's been such a blessing to our family. I said, yeah, I could, I could tell by the features, and I have some members of my family with Down syndrome, and I've, my mom's been a special needs uh, you know, kind of teacher for years, and you know, they're, they're really, I have a cousin who has Down syndrome, and they're just really unique kids. And We started talking. We kind of became fast friends. He, like, I'm, I'm easy to get to know. He's like even easier. And uh, So we became fast friends. We kind of exchanged some information. He said, hey, by the way, you know, um, with what you do in music, you know, could you get me, we have a, they lived in Floyd's Knobs, they still live in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana, and uh, he said, we have a, like a Greater Indiana Down Syndrome Banquet, is there any way you could get me some celebrity memorabilia, autograph stuff uh, for, you know, that we could auction off? I said, sure, I'll try. So I did end up sending him some autograph stuff from like Rascal Flats and Winona Judd and a bunch of people, and uh, he was really thankful, and then 
know, but we, we kind of sort of kept in touch. But then he sent me this story, like I said, like six months after I read this Emmy article about, you know, his sons from his wife's point of view, how they were really worried because they had another, they had a daughter in softball and a son in baseball, but they weren't special needs. And what was this going to be like? She was really worried, but how like the coach really embraced him and they ended up making it to the championship game. They didn't win, but you know, they like everyone really learned a ton from, from Jacob, the kid, you know, she was really hoping that he'd learn a ton from them, but really it was like an outpouring from the community of like how much they had learned from him and how much everyone loved him. And just a mother's great story. I don't know, a couple thousand words. And, uh, I read it and I, I, I teared up. It was just a great moving story. And I, so I, he's like, Hey, this is going to be published in the, the Floyd snobs newspaper or whatever that is. Uh, so don't share it, you know, publicly, but I just wanted you to I want you to hear it, you know, whatever. I want you to see it. So I, I said, this is cool. So I, I emailed it to my dad and my business partner, Jack, who certainly at the time, I didn't even know they knew how to use email practically. <laughs> um, they definitely didn't have a lot of friends on email. And I get CC'd by both of them. I don't even know they know how to CC. Each of them must have sent it to 20, 30, 40, 50 friends. Like, hey, you got to read this story. I'm like, oh, crap, I wasn't supposed to share this. But it's not like you oh, can get wow. out. Yeah, but sure. like, I just didn't even know they knew how to use a computer. And so, um, so I, I said, this story is viral, but sadly no one's ever going to see it just in that newspaper. So I decided, Hey, maybe I could tell this story. Um, hmm. I hold a mastermind event every year, at the Grammys is right around that time. And so I used my mastermind time, uh, to read the story. I read the story, not a dry in the room and said, here's the deal. I want to make this movie. I need some help. Um, and I'm going to try to win an Emmy. I have no idea what that looks like, but I'm going to try. And so I need some of you to support me, you know, would you give me this much for an executive producer, this much to be a producer, and I'll go make this movie. I think the story needs to be told. And um, a lot of big names in the room, you'd be shocked at who actually – everyone said that help, of course, but you'd be shocked about who actually did and didn't follow through, but that's how huh. life is. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up making the movie. It was a seven-minute short, uh, and we won – we got two Emmy nominations. We actually lost for the movie, but one for uh, one for directing, and uh, – I when I'd never been to the Emmys before, and when you lose for the movie, I think there's no way in hell you can win for directing. But yeah. as it turns out now, three of my Emmys are for movies that didn't win, but I won for directing. And I only have one movie we won for the movie, and I directed it, but I didn't win for directing. So <laughs> who knows how this all works? But which anyway, film so, uh, was that that won? Uh, it's called Jacob's Turn, and that's uh, you can see it at jacobsturn.com. It's just a really cool little inspirational short. Actually, your your Miracle Morning folks would love it. Yeah, jacobsturn.com. Okay, fantastic. So I, before, I, uh, this is fascinating. I want to I want to sh- pause, Nick, and I just want to share this with our listeners. Uh, you you heard Nick say how you know how did he win an Emmy? He Googled how to win an Emmy, and I cannot stress enough that just about anything you could ever want to do or accomplish or experience or achieve. Is you know right? Google's like the starting place, and it's so funny. But I, uh, you know, Nick, I get questions all the time from people, emails, or you know, web forms from my website, and they always ask, you know, how how do I do blank? How do I accomplish this? How do I do you know? And nine times out of ten, I always copy their question, I paste it into Google, I hit enter, and then I copy that link and I send it to them. You know, right? And like, and 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 it's kind of like teaching a man to fish versus giving him a fish. I'm like, well, I'm like, I could give you an answer, but here's one, you know, like eleven thousand articles, right? <laughs> that that popped up uh, in in point oh two seconds, right? So, uh, 
And, and and it's funny, my assistant, she has, you know, when, when I brought on my assistant, I told her the same thing. Go, You're going to get questions all the time for all sorts of random stuff, you know, 80% of which we have no idea the answer to. Right. And I, you know, that's the procedure. You Google it, send them the link, and uh, and let them know. So uh, so that's I love awesome. that, man. But I mean, see, you, like nobody would ever think, you know, like winning an Emmy seems like such a specialized thing that like, oh, I got to find someone that won an Emmy and I got to talk, you know, to, like pick their, find a way to get a hold of them and pick their brain. Now you just Google it, right? Yep. You just Google it. I love That's it. So, it, yeah. So, and what what is it like though? I'd I'd love to hear what is it uh, like going and accepting the Emmy, which you've done multiple times now. What's it like to to win an Emmy and to be recognized for your work in front of your peers? It's uh, surprisingly uh, emotional. I mean, so mm. so I've been going to the Grammys for years, never had a Grammy nomination, but I've always, you know, like everyone says, I've always, man, what a like what a just pleasure and a gift to be nominated well that's true but it really does suck to lose (laughs) you know i mean because you you really are there's just so much of you wrapped up in it's not your identity but you spend so much time and like you you really hope people get to understand experience that emotion that story and so yeah man i mean i have i the last one i want is really funny um i took uh i think i took 18 of our friends with us so it was really fun but then I didn't realize how much pressure I was putting on myself because if I didn't win, I basically just dragged all these people. I, that wasn't the point. We we're just going to go have a weekend away and have some fun. Um, a bunch of you know, it's a bunch of friends we hang out with from like you know my kids' uh, friends' parents and all that. And yeah. uh, but then I, like I I didn't win for we had two movies in and I think six nominations. Uh, two four nominations were mine, and uh, I I didn't win the first one. Then when the second one, I'm like, ah, oh, man. And, and, you know, you're sitting there all night. I mean, it's, it takes forever. Yeah, and, uh, sure. And then I won the one for uh, for directing. And I just, I think I screamed. And I, not like a little girl or anything. I think it was a nice <laughs> deep man scream. Yeah. I, ah! I, I, I immediately, and I started, you know, kind of walking up to get it. And I immediately couldn't, I just had to cry. Like, yeah. I'm like, and I think a lot of it was just that emotional pressure that was like, oh, gosh, I dragged all these people here. Yeah. If I don't win, this is a real downer. Like, you have fun for the weekend, but the, the night's kind of over. If you don't win anything, you just kind of like, well, that was fun, but it's like kind of a lame kind of just, yeah. you know, mellow night. When you win, it's like a party, right? Nice. So then we just went and partied. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, it's, it's quite an experience, and um, it's really neat that, you know, people who are in the industry, that they value what you do. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't. I would say it's funny because the whole story is like that, but I, I never did it for the award. I, I did it to tell the story because I'm passionate about telling the story and I, I want to see if I could do it. But the awards are certainly uh, a nice sweetener. But, you know, they're, they're, they're hard. I mean, I think I have eight – I have to look, but I think I have 18 nominations and four wins. So, I mean, it's not like they're easy. Sure, sure. Now, but I, I just – I love that you're authentic and honest about, you know, it's an honor to be nominated – but it sucks to lose. Like you always hear actors and actresses all humble and oh, it's just, oh, it's just an honor to be nominated. Right. Well, why don't they follow it up with, but it sucks that I didn't win, you know? Yes. Uh, Cause I'm sure they all feel that way. So uh, right on, man, Let, let's talk about the new movie. Let's talk about your new film visioneer. I mean, I watched this the other day, absolutely loved it. I mean, you saw, I was promoting it on social media. Like you guys got to see this. Um, Talk about the film. So, so I'd, I'd love to hear. So, so t- t- take a minute and you know synopsis of the film. Uh, but then I would love to hear how it came to be because I think that you know that to me is a, a story that I'm intrigued to, to learn about. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, the the story is really the story of Peter D. Mandis, the founder of the X Prize, um, 
Sadly, not enough people know who he is, especially by name yeah. or even X Prize. They get it confused with SpaceX. Although the first X Prize was launched in 1996, Peter decided you know he he wanted to go to space. It's all he wanted to do his whole life, and he went to to MIT and got an undergrad and a master's, and went to Harvard to get an MD just so he could maybe have a shot at being an astronaut. So I mean, this guy's like committed, yeah. but he realized that the space program was really not heating up. It was actually kind of slowing down. And he, he thought, you know what, the answer is privatized spaceflight. So he launched a $10 million prize for the first person or team who could build a you know, suborbital space vehicle that could be flown, uh, tested twice within two weeks and, and could be reused. Because one of the biggest problems with space has always been everything is ungodly expensive because NASA had to build it. So it was literally impossible to fail. And when you, go, when you, have, to, when you have to build something that literally – is not a possibility that can fail. The, the, the cost becomes astronomical hmm. as opposed to something that's got a really good shot. I mean, you got to be careful, of course, with people's lives or anything else too, but like sure. it's just a different you know, motivation. And so he launched his $10 million prize. Um, it was won in 2004 uh, by uh, a guy named Burt Rattan, who's one of the most legendary aeronautics uh, engineers ever, funded by Paul Allen, who's a billionaire. Uh, and so anyway, uh, when Peter announced the prize... Uh, he didn't have the ten million dollars, and and as you come to learn later in the movie, and it's a public story, uh, that not you know people know that you know he ended up getting hole in one insurance for golf tournaments. That like when you there was like a million dollar hole in one, that's an insurance policy. They ended up getting quote unquote space insurance from a hole in one golf you know tournament company. So <laughs> anyway, he's a fascinating guy. So I got to meet him um, through uh, Joe Polish, and then he and I joined uh, you know Dan Sullivan, who's another one of my mentors, his strategic coach group at the same time. So me and Peter were like. In, in strategic coach once a day, once a quarter. Oh, nice. And I mean, I was always kind of intimidated by him because, like, that dude's just Sure, amazing, it's Peter Diamandis, right? yeah. Yeah, right. And so, but I talked to him here and there, and I was like, hey, man, I'd really love to make a documentary about your latest wow. book of months. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I, man, I appreciate that, but uh, someone else already is doing it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, ah. I'm, all right, well, I'll keep thinking. And I, so I kept, hey, how's that documentary coming? Oh, we're supposed to start soon. And so eventually, it was like maybe two years later, he's like, he's like, yeah, man, that, uh, that's not happening. I'm like, well, can I, can I make a movie on it? He's like, let me think about it. So uh. we went back and forth. So I just basically kept asking until he said yes. Nice. Um, and uh, then, we, then we started making the movie. And then I went to clients and said, hey, again, I'm going to try to – I'm doing something cool here. I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to meet Peter. And they funded executive producers and producers. Uh, and that's how that movie came to be. And by the way, I'm making – because of through that process and with the X Prize, I joined the board – and I met Dean Kamen, who invented the Segway, the you know the portable dialysis machine, the portable insulin pump, and actually that the Coca-Cola freestyle machine, you know, where you can make any flavor ever known to man. Uh, and so we're actually making a uh, a movie with Dean that we're uh, we're funding right now, which should be fun. It's called The Battle for North Dumpling Island. It's all about his private island and uh, how the government was trying to screw with him. He was trying to put a a wind turbine on his private island to get power that was fully self-sufficient, and how much crap as he calls it, the People's Republic of New York made him go through. Wow. He tried to secede from the Union. Uh, he, he has his own currency there. It's all in units of pie on his private island because everyone's an engineer. And it's backed by Ben and Jerry's ice cream. They, <laughs> ben and Jerry made a special flavor for him that is in two freezers in the basement that are never in the same place at the same time. And his currency is backed by Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So anyway, a fun, you know, it, it's led me on some fun chases to, uh, to get to tell some other pretty cool stories. Yeah, that sounds like, yeah, I, I love that you get into so just some really fascinating people. And, and that's really what it is. And, and as it's really funny, I mean, so my whole career has been built on, on building up people and positioning people and working with people. And 
know, when I go to people about these movies, they're all like, well, I don't just want to, you to make a movie just about me. I'm like, well, here's the deal. I mean, of course, I'm going to cover the things that you've done and your mission. That's really what it's about. But like people are the most fascinating thing on earth. And so we're all fascinated by successful people or unusual people. People have done unusual things. Yeah. I mean, we know, do they eat radioactive cornflakes? Like what do they do? Like how did, how did this happen? I mean, the same way, you know, on a much smaller scale, you know, uh, my story, you asked me my story because people, people have to know you before they're willing to hear you and sure. listen to you and trust you. And, and it's so funny how much pushback I get from the most freaking interesting people in the world, how they're like, ah, I don't want just a, a vanity film about my yeah. story. It's not going to be that first of all, but dude, you're missing the boat. Your story is everything. And I, that's, I built my whole career on that, but it's funny, even the, even the higher I get up the flagpole, the more I would think people would get that, but they really don't. So anyone listening, like, dude, tell your story. It really, at the end of the day, it is the only thing that you have that's different than everyone else on earth because there's no one who has your story. It's funny. I, I speak at events sometimes, and people don't really kind of get it. So I do an example called the $10,000 exercise, and I say, all right, here's the deal. Everyone take out a piece of paper. Write down uh, the city you were born in. Write down the name of your second grade teacher. Write down the name of the person who gave you your first kiss and write down whatever your favorite song and maybe where you graduated from college or your last where you graduated last from high school, whatever. And everyone writes it down and say, OK, now if you can find anyone else in the room that has the identical paper to yours, I'll give you $10,000. Huh. And no one does because we all have a different story. And it's not all about talking about where you went to high school, but there are elements throughout your life that really make it make sense why you know, you're on a path. God put you on a path to do what you're doing. And the elements in your life, the, the, the pivotal points in your life, like I told you the story about like my dad and his, I mean, that was a pivotal story in my life. And it makes sense to people why I would be as quote unquote driven as people. Why, you know, what, what drives you is like, well, I never wanted to be in a position where I couldn't, you know, my parents had done amazing things for me, but they were at a point where, you know, they, they immigrated to a new country. They did everything they could and they were put in a position of weakness, not by their own doing. And I never, ever, ever wanted that to happen to me. So like I've been, you know, uh, thankfully, I think in a healthy way, but I've been running from that monster my whole life, right? I mean, that's that's what drives me, and I think that it's important to share your story with people so they understand why you're doing this. What drives you? Is it just is it just for money? Or are you just trying to make your own personal gains, or is there a is there are you on a greater mission to to do that? And so I think uh, you know that's what kind of started me off, and I you know our our, our what we talk about now in our mission here, at the agency is to help the most people help the most people, and you know I want I want to help people. You know, like you, how people, I want to help the world know great people because I can't reach a billion people, but if I can help a million people, they can. And, uh, you know, and I think, but if you don't share those stories and, sh you know, share your passions, it, it's impossible to get people to that place. Well, that everything you just said for the last couple of minutes is you're speaking directly to me right now because I am dealing with that insecurity around, you know, we're, we're doing a documentary, The Miracle Morning. And, uh, you know, my director, Nick Conadera is keeps pushing it for it to be kind of wrapped around my story and how my story fascinating. And I'm going, ah, I don't want it. I don't want it to be about me. And I don't want to right? I don't want to be like this vanity film, as you said. So um, which is part of the reason that uh, I'm courting you, Nick Nanton, right now to be involved <laughs> we'll figure it out. in worry. the making of the Miracle Morning. Yeah, we'll figure that out for sure. Um, all right, well, let's uh, dude, let, let's wrap up with some actionable advice. Um, what you know? What is your? You've achieved you know goal after goal after goal, and what's beautiful is, dude, you're you're, you're just getting started, right? Like your your best, I really believe, is 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 ahead of you. Um, what what's the best advice that you would give to our listeners on achieving? major goals you've achieved some big goals not on little minor goals like you know lose five pounds but what's your best advice on achieving some major goals 
Um, well, first of all, you have to set goals that scare the hell out of you. Yeah, right? there you go. That's a part of it. And I, I, we don't always do that, but I mean, <clears throat> there is, I, I, I think one of the, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, and like I'm kind of like a dog, you know. Like I've got ADHD, like mad, right? I mean, so squirrels, squirrels, squirrels. So, sure. so one of the things that I, uh, by the way, I think the the H in ADHD stands for hustle. I think, but anyway, <laughs> I'll prove that later. But um, you know, the the point being that I have been blessed with this simple mindset of looking for the win in everything because I just hate negativity. So I think. What I do, and, and it's kind of inherent based on my personality, but I, I'm constantly looking at how do I bring value to others. And I, and I think a lot of people say that and don't do it, and I don't mean to sound cliche, but like I really like what's the value we can have. Like, you know, look, I mean, you could vouch for me. We had a call with you and your director, and I'm just trying to – like how can I help you? I'm sure there's a way you can help me. I'm sure there's a way, but we'll figure it out later. If, if there's something I can do for you, let me do it now. So I try to serve others and bring value, and then I always look for the wins, man. What are the wins, and, and how can – how can, what do I really want to do in life? Like whether it's a money-making venture, mostly it's not, it's usually something really creative. So like uh, when I wanted to get on TV, like I wanted, you know, I, I was getting some media pickup with my book and stuff, but I really wanted some TV, but I figured out the best way to get on TV would be to help a bunch of other people get on TV and I would just ride along with them. So that's what I did. We created a whole get on TV program or, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, just, I try to find things that are really, that it's like something I personally just am driven to do. And then how do I, bring people along with me and give them value so that I can achieve that. And I mean, we, we can try to get simpler, but that's kind of the, the where I start from. No, I love it. So I, I got set goals that scare the hell out of you. Number one, number two, look for ways to add value. And number three, focus on your wins. And uh, no, I mean, I think that that's a great formula. And, and I think that, that the, you know, the bigger the goal you're going after, the, the more that the, those all become relevant. Right. Especially, I mean, you know, you're trying to get with Peter Diamandis, you better find a way to add value. <laughs> right. Right. And well, and, and I, I took no for a while. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you gotta be, you know, I, I like to, I ride the line between persistence and annoyance when I need something. You know, I get, I'm sure you do too. I get these emails from sure. people who, uh, I, I, I get all sorts of emails, but there's some people who are like, they basically, the tone of their email is like, you need to do this for me because you're so successful. You owe this to me. And wow. I, those just get deleted. And oh, I first sure. used to get those in music. I also get the ones that are like, yo, this is the dopest jam you have ever <laughs> heard in your life or the best music you ever. Yeah, and so I delete those. Don't even listen. I, I know <laughs> because you're so lacking self-awareness. Yeah. There's really nothing I can do to help you. Yeah. Now, the people who just say, hey, man, could you? I, I love what, you know, usually people are complimentary, which is nice. But love what you done. What is, is there any way you can help me? I always try to connect them with someone or yeah. respond to the email, do something to help them. But you know, and I, I, when I, when I go to other people, I'm always trying to see why would they want, you know, why would they want to, why would they want to work with me? So Peter, like, why, why would Peter let me make a movie on him? Well, he doesn't. First of all, he's, I'm, he's not gonna have to pay for it. Second of all, I'm gonna dump all my time, energy, and effort into it. Here's. I had to build a case for it. Here's some other movies I made. I made this one on Nito Cobain. Check this out. You can see how I presented him. And, and that got an Emmy nomination. People love that movie. So I had to build a case of why, why honestly, I'm trying to convince him to let me spend $250,000 to make a movie on. This shouldn't be a hard sell, right? But I mean, I still had to bring the value to the table and, and, and I did. But so I, I think it's all about just you know, being persistent Never, uh, you know, someone said this to me the other day and I thought it was great. They're like, no, I, I never fail. Successful people never fail. They just learn from it and, and do something with it. They learn, they do something with that knowledge. So when you, when you, if you say you failed, you, that means you've given up, like you're not doing this again. If, if you are not willing to admit defeat, but you're willing to learn and, and you know, and, and learn and move on, then you will always win. Uh, because I don't, 
I don't, I never lose because I never quit. Like if I lose that deal, if I lose that option, I use that to go get another one. So I, again, it's just a small brain thing, I think, but I'm constantly looking for how do I make this into win because I'm unwilling to lose. I love it. I love it, man. Well, fantastic advice. And and let's, uh, I'd love to just for you to share for our listeners, if they want to learn more about you, where do they go? And, uh, specific to visioneer, where do they go to, uh, to watch that film? Sure. So you can opt in, <coughs> excuse me, to our list uh, and get all sorts of free downloads in the Celebrity Branding You book and story selling and all that stuff uh, by going to celebritybrandingagency.com. Uh, celebritybrandingagency.com. You can, of course, find me at nicknanton.com. Uh, and you can find uh, Visioneer the movie at visioneermovie.com. And there are, um, there are times when you can, we do some free screenings and some other stuff. So just you know, uh, sign in there. And then when we have the next free screening, which should be in a couple weeks, we'll, uh, we'll, don't worry, we'll let you know about it. Cool. Cool, man. Well, thanks for being on, Nick. I really, uh, what's cool is you and I have, you know, we've, we've just started kind of getting to know each other and I feel like I got to know you a heck of a lot more on this, uh, this interview. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for the time. And, uh, let's, let's hang out again soon. Yeah, for sure. Well, achieve your goals. Listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I did. I, I love today's interview. I'm, I'm sure that you did too. Hope you got as much value out of it as I did. And uh, until next time, go out there and and set some big, exciting, scare the hell out of you goals. And uh, according to to Nick's advice, man, look for ways to add value to every person that you come in contact with. And the more value that you add to the lives of others, the more valuable you become to them and to the world. So until next time, make it a great day. We will talk to you next week and take care. thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. So now we want to know what were your big takeaways from this interview with Nick. Simply head on over to hellaura.com slash 116 for episode number 116 and leave a comment there on the show notes page. We also, while you're there, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by going to hellaura.com slash iTunes, clicking the little subscribe button, and then if you would, please leave a rating and review. Rating and reviews truly are the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because they help more people find out about the podcast and decide if this is the one for them. So now, until next week's episode, it's time for you to go out there, take action, and achieve your goals.
If you're looking to grow your business using podcasting, but don't have the time to edit the audio, insert the intro and outro, write up the show notes, post the episode to all the different sites, and do all of the ridiculous back-end work that's required, then you need yourpodcastguru.com, where you bring the content and we take care of the rest. We'll even co-host the show for you. Visit yourpodcastguru.com right now to explode your audience and crush it in the podcasting world.